0: Thanks for tuning in to Choose Film. Just a wee heads up: this episode contains strong language. Hello, I'm Nicola.
1: And I'm Gary.
0: And welcome to episode 80 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast where we take a deep dive into a film chosen by our guest. Each season is a different theme, and we are sticking with the current one of Underdog. Today, we are joined by the lovely Katrina McLeod, who has decided that this episode we will be taking a look at Strictly Ballroom. So, Kat,
2: (laughs) she's cheering, everybody. She's cheering. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> how are you it's actually it's lovely to finally meet you because i've not met you before so yeah, it's nice to finally and you meet too, you of twitter fame it's mm-hmm. just so nice to like it's lovely people. getting connected on the interwebs isn't it and then actually seeing yeah. people
2: sort of in real life this isn't really real but you know <laughs> it's across yeah. a computer screen that's kind of been most of the last six months of of my life because i live on on mull, so actually oh, do you? yeah so i i moved home during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and have just made so many friends and now that i'm in glasgow much more often i have this whole new like network of people it's so fun so hello (laughs) it's a joy to be here (laughs) (laughs)
0: amazing amazing um but yeah no thank you thank you for coming on the podcast can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself please
2: so I am a writer and I'm a director. I'm currently working in theatre, but I made my first short film last year through GMAC. Um, and I would love, I mean, it's I'm so excited to be talking about Baz Lerman, an artist who has done both art forms. <laughs> yeah. It can be done. So, oh, yes, uh, it can. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm working on my first sort of big show as a writer and director, um about a woman who has a relationship with a smart washing machine. So <laughs> anything's on the table, really. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: nice. Is this one that you were casting for recently? Because I think I've, yeah. I've I've heard yeah, I've heard yeah. tales from Shan Davidson who had the most wonderful time in the oh, in the edition.
2: Brilliant. So yeah. She said it was well, a great time. It was an amazing yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing to be in charge of that and think well how do i want to do this for the rest of my career and then start from there (laughs) so yeah also like before i was a director as i was a performer so i did uh solo cabaret shows so strictly ballroom (gasps) will make sense (laughs) given that
0: (laughs) the picture's just been painted (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness um speaking of strictly ballroom why did you pick it for this theme of underdog
2: do you know it was the first film that came to mind um because it is to me i mean i grew up on a diet of films where you had a curly bespectacled heroine who gets a makeover and becomes the hot girl in school or or Mm -hmm. the attractive one in whatever sphere she's in and that to me was framed as an underdog story but strictly ballroom is at the complete antithesis of that mentality. And the more I was researching the story and re-watching it again after was probably about ten years. Like it's it's stuck in my mind for such a long time. It was the film that really made me love Baz Luhrmann as a director. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And I probably saw I probably saw his first three films in a, in a weird order. I think I saw Romeo and Juliet first then Moulin Rouge, then Strictly Ballroom. Um, I think yeah, I've done just,
0: the same thing, to be honest. Yeah,
2: <laughs> because know. Moulin Rouge came out when I was about 13 and it absolutely blew my mind. And mm. it, by that point, that was sort of when I started to get really into cinema and film and bought Empire Magazine with my pocket money whenever I got over to Oban. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and then I, I loved... English was my favourite subject at school. And we didn't we didn't have drama in my high school, so it was through English and through studying Shakespeare that I again realised I love theatre and drama. I, I honestly can't remember how I found this film. It's so niche that I think it was maybe just me suddenly having mm-hmm. access to the internet and <laughs> wanting to know more about the the man, the myth, the legend that made Moulin Rouge and and Romeo and Juliet. That I found this film. Um, Mm -hmm. and re-watching it as an adult particularly with this theme in mind it really made me think about the way that the story is structured and there's actually this really interesting hierarchy where there's more than one underdog story at play Um, and also I think um, venturing into filmmaking I think this the, the fact that this film even got made is an underdog story in itself. Like, it's just a miracle mm. to get anything made in film. Um, and this this tiny budget film from Australia that came out in mm. 1992, I mean, it came out, I was doing a bit of research about other films that came out around the same time. Um, this was the year that we, we got, like, Sister Act and yeah. Wayne's World and yeah. um, The Bodyguard. Uh, I've got a list here, Bodyguard, Death Becomes Her. All of these films had millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then in amongst this, you've got Strictly Ballroom, this tiny budget film from a first-time filmmaker who yeah, had was never, first had film, never made it? a film. He'd never even yeah. made a short. He'd worked mm-hmm. in theatre and he'd never made a film before and Strictly Ballroom was his first film. And it is so unapologetically his style. It's such a unique... Mm experience um and i think i i think it really kicks off his style in a really interesting way because he said he said of the three films that he he made first the he calls them the red curtain trilogy and he has said that he has he really stuck to a very theatrical style so there's something in that story in itself of being from a different art form that is or tends to be, you can make really exciting, unique DIY theater shows and you don't yeah. always need, you don't always need permission from a big producer to do so. So there's mm-hmm. something really scrappy about those early films from Baz Luhrmann that I find really exciting and really interesting to look at at this point, I guess in my career and wanting to make things work and, and just looking for a blueprint of how to make it happen. Um,
0: it is very inspiring, yeah. I I would say, yeah. In, the, yeah, in that respect of like, just kind of unap- unapologetically going for it and going, yeah, I believe in this and
2: let's do it. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like over Christmas, me and my sisters were having a chat with, with my dad about records and, and albums and he said something really interesting that I think applies here. He said, a first album is an artist's life's work. It's everything that they've consumed and all of their inspiration at once in one thing. Um, and I really think Strictly Ballroom is that for Baz Luhrmann. It's all of his interests, unapologetically, his own style. And mm-hmm. there has never been a film like this. And I think it's it's that beautiful magic of the right story with the mm. right storyteller and for them to have nothing to lose. Yeah. Which I Absolutely. which I think is also reflected in the story itself.
1: I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about Jaws in relation to Steven Spielberg <sighs> yes. and how it's Steven. Sp- it's like Steven Spielberg before he became Steven Spielberg, and this is kind of like Baz before he became Baz in relation to yeah. Jaws. Is so like rough and like taking chances and like whereas. Because of everything that went wrong with Jaws, he became mm. a more careful filmmaker, a more like, like safe—not safe—as in like the stories and that were still. Bold, the attention
0: to detail was more. Yeah, so after whereas Jaws. like mm-hmm.
1: I think with uh, with Jaws, things were going wrong, and it was a case of we need to wing it. And I think you could feel a lot of that in here. You know, it's like yeah. we're, 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 not we're not winging the story or anything like that, but like winging to get mm-hmm. it made, to get it finished, yeah. to get it out there.
0: But it feels like it's added to the charm of it. Because this yeah. this was a first mm-hmm. time watch for me, and I was just yeah. like, "Holy shit!" I've never because I didn't even know about Strictly Ballroom. I'd heard about the the, the theater show, like I'd said before, but mm-hmm. never realized there was a film. Mm. And it was a case of like, I've seen Moulin Rouge and I've seen Romeo and Juliet in the same kind of order. You'd watched it, Cat, and then when I watched this yesterday, I was like, you can see that style. Thick and right through it, and mm-hmm. what's been lent to *Moulin Rouge* and to yeah. *Romeo and Juliet*, and I, I yeah. love that. I also love that it was Australian. That you know, he's just been like, "Yep, I'm going with my mm-hmm. kind of native place," and yeah, it was. It's a very good film uh, for this it's... as well, I think.
2: And just the humor, I feel, because I was, I was looking into. <laughs> The other, I mean, the other big Australian films I can think of are Muriel's Wedding and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which, yeah. which both both came out two years after this. So I wonder how much of a doorway Strictly Ballroom opened to other Australian filmmakers mm. internationally. Probably, yeah, yeah, probably quite and considerably. I, yeah, it's such it's it's also just such a gorgeous film. I think Baz Luhrmann, he works theatrically in the in the sense that he creates ensembles of people. Mm -hmm. So Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet and Strictly Ballroom were all designed by Catherine Martin, who he'd worked Mm -hmm. with at Sydney Opera House um, and went to NIDA with. And I think there's something really inspiring about forming a collective like that. Um, They all they were all edited by Jill Bilcock as well. So he, he worked with the same editor.
1: Um, Let, let's let's rain back a bit, in because this is going into some of like points yeah. and stuff like that, and yeah, it might I'm be. I'm getting as well. overexcited. <laughs> It's all right. That's okay. That's good. That's
2: good. No. Um,
0: so, what would you what would you rate it out of five?
2: Oh, five's too little. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it used to be ten, but we brought we took it down a notch. Yeah.
2: Oh, I you can definitely give it a 10 five. Out of five if you wish. Mm-hmm. I think I think I've 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 letterboxed it at five with an additional like, which I don't do very often. Mm. <laughs> nice, nice. So it gets it gets five and a love heart. Aww, uh, nice. I love that, <laughs> <laughs> Gary? What are you thinking?
1: Um, I don't know. This is my first oh, time watching you it. Don't shit all over? It, I swear not, to God.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, critical thinking's great.
1: Um, yeah, so. Like you were talking about your journey uh, into like Bazzy's films and mine went from Elvis to this. No. Yes. So I've oh not seen Romu and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Australia. I've not <gasps> actually. So Well, I've I, not
2: seen Australia either. Yeah. So that's my that's the blip
1: they have just kind of passed me by but my family were huge Elvis fans and my mum was mm-hmm. a huge Elvis yeah. fan so I was like I have to go see this and then I went mm-hmm. from that which is really interesting to go from someone's latest film to their Yeah so their first. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, that's such that's a nice backward journey.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah um but this film I think I need another watch of it cuz it's so energetic you're just tossed mm-hmm. in and you're like what am I watching oh. I can't and you need to keep yeah. up. Like the camera and the editing, so fast. So right now, I'm going to go with a three out of five, which I think's still a decent score. Um, very decent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll need to somehow go back to it with that glass of wine at some point.
2: So, I mean, it's really fun. interesting that the two you've seen are Elvis and Strictly Ballroom, because I think that they're actually very similar. They just have different mm. endings. Mm. Because both of those films, um, Baz Luhrmann, he 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 kind of always tries to find a myth that his story can hang on. So when he talks about Strictly Ballroom, the two myths at play here are David and Goliath and the Ugly Duckling. But I also <laughs> think that Elvis is a David and Goliath story, but David loses. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas with Strictly Ballroom, you have someone else who's fighting the big guy at the top for creative freedom and yeah. triumphs. So one's one's a comedy and one's a tragedy. And I think he returns to this sort of theme of somebody who is trying to live an authentic life that's maybe not the norm or is somehow coming up against someone else's view of what life should be. Um, But it's interesting that that both Strictly Ballroom and Elvis speak very deeply to creativity and to creative freedom um, and to how we make art that is authentic to what we believe and how we want to live. and that somehow art and creativity are also really deeply rooted to identity and love and relationships.
1: It's so funny coming off of, like, uh, Whiplash, which kind of has got those same sort of ideas Mm -hmm. as well about creativity and trying to be the best and working by your own rules and things. Yeah?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: What would you score out of five?
0: (laughs) Four. I'm probably going to go with a four. Um... Like I said, never, never saw it before. I'd heard of the stage play and I, I really still want to go and see the stage play. I think it's coming to Glasgow this year. Um, so I'm dead keen for that. But from the get-go, I was sitting watching it. I was like, what in the flying fuck am I watching? What is going on? But literally... Literally, from the first five minutes, I was cackling. Like, I was actually laughing out loud. I was like, this is hilarious. Like, Liz made me laugh oh so God. hard. Shirley is a freaking
2: rocker.
0: It could oh, have been neighbours
2: I... in a film dancing. Like, literally, it feels like a soap opera in a film. Um, One of my favourite elements of the comedy in this is that the world to the audience... Is absolutely batshit, crazy, ridiculous. Oh, but the people in the story take it so seriously. So yeah. Scott is off doing his own steps, and Shirley's like, oh my God, I failed him as a mother. Like, yeah. she's just so. <laughs> she's so she's a hundred percent all the time yeah. and i think a yeah. performance that i could compare to that in another film i think emily blunt's performance in devil wears prada is one of oh my the God, funniest yes. performances yes. because she treats it exactly the same way she yeah. is there treating this like shakespeare yeah and that's exactly what like pat thompson who plays shirley in this yeah. is doing and it's absolutely hilarious it's so I, good I, I did not expect it at all
0: because like I mean from the get-go I was like okay I can see the similarities like Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge but this Mm -hmm. was like a roller coaster an absolute roller coaster and one that I didn't want to get off so yeah yeah uh, I don't want to get like too far into like points and stuff before we actually get there but yeah I loved it four out of five for me for sure. Mm -hmm. Um but yes. Yeah. Now I'm gonna get it right this time, Gary, so don't worry. Um Kat, would you like to try and give our listeners a little synopsis of the film from your point of view?
2: Yes. So it is Australia in the early 90s, and Scott Hastings is the star dancer of the dance studio that his mother Shirley runs. And he is competing in a in a ballroom dance competition. And everyone thinks it's going to be his year. He's going to win this big competition called the Pan-Pacific Grand Prix. But the problem is that Scott wants to dance his own steps that are not regulated or approved by the Federation of Australian Dance, which is run by the villain of the piece, a man called Barry Fife. Um, and he ends up going off-piste during a competition and his partner, Liz, refuses to dance with him anymore. So there's this... Gorgeous character called Fran, who offers herself as Scott's dance partner, even though she's just a beginner and Scott doesn't think she has the right to approach him because he's he's so far above her um, in the rankings of this dance school. But they start dancing together. He starts teaching her, but also she starts teaching him some of her own steps and what ensues is both a beautiful love story and uh, a story of learning to dance from the heart (laughs) Mm -hmm. samba he had the world at his feet come
1: on number 100
2: he had the moves
1: flashy crowd pleasing steps he had the magic
2: i keep asking myself why did I fail him as a mother? He had the music. The Pogo Pogo. Rudy Lama. Tango, please. The one thing he needed was a partner. Stay calm, Liz. Stay calm. Piss off! Liz! I'm not dancing with you till You dance like you're supposed to. I thought that what they danced was wonderful. Hi, oh, Liz, I thought you should... Have... That was unexpected. What's wrong with me? What is so wrong with the way I dance?
0: I want to dance with you
2: the rum is the dance of love i want to dance with you your way look at me like you're in love that's it now everything's theirs for the taking but you won't win if you don't have a partner i'm dancing with fran 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 all they have to do
0: you're a beginner fran what the hell did you think you were doing
2: is make the right move
0: before we go any further, let's just officially start our three positive points about what we enjoyed about the film. I kicked Was. us off last time. Gary, do you want to go first, my friend?
1: Sure. I'm pretty sure I went first time, but I'll go again.
0: Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Do you know what? No, fine, no, I'll no, it's take control. No, no, no. By all means, it's cool. <laughs> I'll just do it. Bugger you. So... <laughs> so, my first positive point is how... Baz Lerman has taken this original stage play into the screen, but has kept like the heart and soul of the theatre show in it, and Mm -hmm. I suppose has created his 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 style now and how well it suits this this story, because Mm -hmm. he he hasn't let go of the theatricalness of it. He's kept that right at the forefront, but he's also then created a really beautifully shot cinematic film and i think it's literally the best of both worlds as an actor from like a theater background who's moved into film and tv and stuff
2: mm-hmm. i bloody
0: loved it from start to finish like i think i think if this film took itself too seriously it could be quite boring and a lot uh-huh. of like the real like underdogness of it would be lost but because yeah. it's so <laughs> camp and ridiculous <laughs> and, and theatrical, it works so well and it really lends even more to like it being an underdog story and mm-hmm. a really incredible piece of film. Like mm-hmm. th- The first bit that really made me laugh out loud um, was very theatrical in that it's when um, Liz dumps Scott as her partner pretty much at like the the competition they're doing Mm -hmm. but knocks fran over when she's trying to be nice (laughs) when she storms out and then scott does the exact same fucking thing he pushes her out of the way i was pissing myself i was just like what what on earth is this and when shirley starts like screaming and shouting like i failed him as a mother that was a terrible australian accent (laughs) but like do you know what I mean? It's just, it's ridiculous. And then, the theatricalness of like, the kind of, two men showing up, one another, but I'm not going to punch you, I'm going to out you. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, Fran's yeah. dad, it's Fran's dad, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and Scott, when they do the Paso Doble. And it's mm-hmm. just like, wild. And that
1: was my favourite scene as well, was like, outside <gasps> the shop, like where they stay. Yeah. In.
0: So good. Even the character of Les, like, <laughs> Like, when Les
2: realises the betrayal as well. (laughs) His face! It's just such brilliant, such brilliant performances across the board, truly. Because
0: it does, I mean, for want of a better word, it could be considered as overacting for film,
2: but Mm
0: -hmm. because of Baz Darman's style, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's so acceptable and Mm -hmm. so fun because, I mean... At the time, people might have been a bit more like, "What the fuck am I watching?" I mean, I was yeah. like, "What the fuck am I watching?" Yesterday, but <laughs> it's it's got so much character, and mm-hmm. I just think that Baz Luhrmann masterfully executed his mm-hmm. style with I think this first film.
1: I think as well that acting can be over the top because everything else is like over the top as well. Like, so it's mm-hmm. not just this one part of filmmaking, even like some of the camera angles or, like, obviously yeah. costume, like, everything is that slight bit over the top, so it all just blends together Is mm-hmm. this wacky... It has that real 90s film. feel
0: about it as well, doesn't yeah. it? Like- well, it's, it's,
1: yeah. it's funny you saying that, because when I first put it on, uh, some of the accents in that, like, in, like, Shirley... Just reminded me of something straight out of EastEnders, just like like well, po- neighbours. Po- <laughs> yeah, I know, but like Holly but just wear dressings and the blonde hair, mm. um, and then like the uh the dance hall at the start looks like a very British almost like community hall or gym yeah, hall. Yeah,
0: doesn't it? It reminded I- me of Greece. Yeah. really? Like,
1: yeah.
0: Like that kind of vibe of when they're like at the school dance. It gave me that. It gave me that kind of, you mm-hmm. know vibe. See it
1: was giving me more British like Full Monty, like this underdog Full Monty type Mm. feel to it as well so it's interesting he's brought all these different kind of elements to it
2: I think Mm. that's a really interesting point though because I think one of my favourite lines in the film, and it's quite a throwaway line um, so Tina Sparkle as we've mentioned is kind of hailed as the the best thing in dance but then it's announced that her partner's retiring and it says something like um, He's retiring so he can devote more time to his landscape business. <laughs> and it's, it's just this little reminder that these characters treat these dancers like gods, but actually they're very small town gods. This is like big yeah. fish, small pond territory. So all of those little details that you were saying, like these characters being like soap characters and all of these spaces actually being quite lo-fi rather mm-hmm. than the grandiose... You know ballroom competition like Brighton Pavilion things that we would associate with the medium um, mm-hmm. they're just it's very down to earth and also to go to say like just to what you were saying Nicola about the performance styles I think there's watching it as an adult I think there's something really beautiful about the way that he kind of dances between this hyper artificial style but there are also moments of quite well, as close to naturalism as you're ever going to get with Baz Luhrmann. And I think that's because you've got these two characters who are falling in love. And I think Fran's world is presented as very naturalistic. Like, even the colour palette is much more muted. And then you've got the world that Scott comes from, where his mother is this matriarch. And there's this gorgeous moment when she's having a meltdown and Les just says, put your smiley face on. And she does. And it's this very self-referential <laughs> moment in the film where Bath Luhrmann is saying, this whole world is artificial because mm-hmm. everybody is playing a part, everybody is performing. And then you contrast that with Fran and her entire universe is about authenticity and passion and being yeah. honest. That it's this lovely, um, I guess, learning curve for Scott's character to go from mm-hmm. this world where you have to perform not, not just a part on the dance floor, but a part in your own personal life to yeah. falling in love with a character who just demands authenticity from you. And I think mm-hmm. Baz has these lovely contrasting moments um, with the color and the design and, and the performances
0: well especially like through the character of doug as well because yeah. throughout the whole film you never hear doug speak until that never. end bit, and that's the reality check in the film and okay. it's because when i was watching i was like well this is actually a little bit freaky like he's really actually quite aggressively trying to get his son to realize like it's not yeah. about it's not about the fame it's not about the fortune it's about being authentically you yeah. um and it's quite yeah. moving as well. And like when he's crying at the end, I'm like, oh, this is actually, this is a bit of like realism. And mm-hmm. as you say, like as close to naturalism as we're probably going to get with Baz Luhrmann, but it yeah. is really moving. And I think yeah. like it comes at the right time in the film also, which again, I think having that theatricalness and like Shirley and Les and um, Fife as well, but mm-hmm. then grounding it all with like scott's actually a fairly grounded character he's not really Mm -hmm. so heightened fran's quite heightened at the start um Mm -hmm. and throughout it she still has moments but doug is probably the most grounded character and to have that kind of combination is is very rare to see in film and rare to see it it executed
2: so well so i was just gonna say i don't know if this is kind of jumping the gun ahead in terms of points but bringing up doug is so important Because to me, in the hierarchy of this film, um, you've got kind of several underdog stories happening at once and they all feed into each other. Yeah, so at the top you've got Barry Fife, who is absolutely determined that no dancer is going to, you know, break the rules, however good they are. And that's all for his own power and benefit. And then you've got Shirley and Les and the dance school and then you've got Scott, who is who is still like an underdog in the sense that he's trying to fight the rules, but he's still very kind of this pampered prince of this world, who mm. although he's grounded, he hasn't he kind of needs really to learn a, a bit of humility.
0: Yeah, he needs a reality
2: yeah. check. Absolutely, because yeah. he's a mummy's
0: boy through and yeah. through. Yeah,
2: and then under well, he's, he's also quite selfish. Like it is selfish to to got to dance your own steps and not have your partner go along with that and then then you've got Fran who is just no one takes her seriously and she has all this fire and passion and ambition and then Doug's at the very bottom of the pile and you're so right he doesn't speak for the entire film but then the moment he does it changes the stakes of the whole film right at that very end so it, it stops being this ridiculous farce about winning a small-time dance competition. And it becomes, yeah. like, you have to to fight for your place and your identity in this world. You have to grow a spine and stand up for what you believe in every now and again. And yeah. it's so powerful that it comes from this silent character who is just browbeaten for the whole film and just disregarded and really on his own for most of the time.
1: Um, I also think that scene at the end with the music, Uh, Fran's family are quite grounded and um, uh, the Scots isn't but the music at the end brings these two families kind of together you know they all start doing the clap at the same time so it blends them and I think it's quite interesting that um, Fran's family are uh, living at the train tracks so it's almost like the the separation of the train tracks, maybe two sides of the city type thing as well
2: He loves his symbolism for he sure, does. but I um, also I also love that that this whole experience with Scott, the the entire story of the film, what it actually does is heal this really old rift in his own family that he didn't mm-hmm. even know that was there. Yeah. So yeah. you've got you know Fran who comes from this loving, I think it's it's her father and her grandmother, and they're mm-hmm. a very close unit. And then you have Shirley and Doug at odds at. at or Shirley basically at odds with everybody. Yep. And yeah. then because Doug sticks up for himself, this massive secret comes to light. And um, it you're right, the end is them all dancing happily. It's like mm-hmm. it's not just I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think <laughs> I, I was I was so moved when I watched this. Yeah. It's been such a long time I was since very I moved saw at this. The I just sobbed for like the whole last no. scene all the dance, mm-hmm. and i i I think it was because I understood Doug's story for the first time properly. Yeah. Yeah. just sure. all of the nuance in that and also how much respect he gives Fran when no one else does mm-hmm. like there's this, there's That's... this beautiful moment when she's dancing in beginners again after being dumped essentially mm-hmm. by Scott as his partner, and Doug films her and everyone's like, What yeah. are you doing?' It's like she deserves to be seen, and Doug's the yeah. one who recognizes Because he she knows that they're partners, doesn't
0: he? He he knows before anybody else that they're partners, doesn't he? Or am I making yeah. that th- up? Um, yeah, he knows.
2: I, th- I do. You know, I don't know. I don't actually. I can't remember if there's a scene. I think that he, he sees realized that they were them. dancing.
0: Yeah, um, because there's that beautiful shot. It.
2: Yeah, there's that wonderful shot. It's probably one of the most iconic shots from the mm. film when they're rehearsing on the roof in front of that gorgeous, sparkly, cola advert. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the camera pans down through mm. the building and you see Doug dancing on his own yeah. in the dance studio. And that's the first moment that I think a parallel is really drawn between Scott and Doug or Fran yeah. and Doug. It's it's They're all in that same boat yeah, it, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful shot. One thing I'll
0: say just to kind of tie up that point is um, I kind of, it annoys me a little bit when films do this where they take your kind of underdog girl, you know, like not um, typically like attractive, like kind of mm-hmm. make her a bit of like a caricature, in this case, like Franz. Um, kind of always getting like pushed out the way or like Mm. told to be quiet and she seems like she's quite clumsy i hate it when they kind of do the princess diary effects of like we're Mm -hmm. gonna give you new hair and new makeup and take your glasses off and you're gonna be a real girl i hate when they do that but i will say that i think with the theatricalness combined with like the cinema effect
2: Mm -hmm.
0: i think they do it really well because especially at the end, Doug's the kind of saving grace of that, where like, yes, Fran does have to take off her glasses and kind of glam up a little bit but Doug keeps it grounded in the sense of like, don't change who you are Mm -hmm. to fit the mould and although she has kind of aesthetically changed, which is a bit annoying, Mm -hmm. it would have been much better if they'd just let her be herself, but I think it
2: ages better because of that.
0: Also, they don't straighten
2: her hair and thank God for that, like Honestly, I am sick to death of, sorry, I say this, people might not know what I look like, I have very curly <laughs> hair, and it has been the absolute bane of my life to have that in the cinematic universe, conflated with ugly ducklingness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And Fran, I think, I'm so glad that you said that, because one of the most beautiful things about Fran and this is, I think, a testament to the writing is that she is so passionate and confident in her own way at the very beginning of the film. Like, she's the one that says to Scott, I want to dance with you. Yeah. Just give me yeah. a chance. She has this absolute belief in herself, even like despite all of the kind of low key abuse that she endures. Like, she's just yeah. running after people and getting them coffee and dancing you know quite clumsily because again it's not her steps she yeah
0: exactly comes, i think
2: She's it's like yeah i it's, think it's there's the something...
0: latin kind of dancing that she is excelling in, not necessarily like yeah the kind of more structured well over, obviously pasadoble is like structured and you have to have tempo and rhythm and stuff but it's completely different to a waltz really i would i mean i'm a, I'm not a dancer i could be really wrong
2: dancers don't come for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, I think what's really important in Fran's story, and if, if we're framing her as the underdog for a moment, um, this world is very white middle class. Mm. Um, and Fran comes from a Spanish-speaking immigrant family who, as you said, live on, you know, quote-unquote, the wrong side of the tracks. They run a bodega, like, under an underpass. Yep. Um, and her family's very traditional. And I think one of the biggest things for me that just makes this film really put its money where its mouth is, is that it's not just that they're dancing Scott steps at the end, it's that what they're actually doing is dancing a dance from her culture, yep. so it doesn't necessarily belong in this very white middle-class world, but there's something about her, like to me it's yeah. her moment, because it's her culture and she's being seen for the first time the way that we've know the way that we've seen her from the very beginning mm-hmm. we know she's this passionate creative person and everybody else has disregarded her for the whole film yeah. yeah and and i think the fact that it's not just about her ability either like the film shows her learning a skill which mm-hmm. is how she essentially kind of glows up which again yeah. is hugely inspiring and and goes against so many of the narratives about women that we've seen in films since really yeah and i think it's also a, such a beautiful love story um because yeah th- at the end when 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 she finds out that he's gonna dump her as a partner she's like and he's like it's so hard for me mm. and she's like how hard do you think it is for me everyone makes fun of my foreign name they make fun of the way i look they always tell me that i don't belong that i should be back in beginners i have i am fighting obstacles at every single turn and you are handed opportunities and now you're just disappointing me. This is the biggest disappointment. But you know yeah, what? I, like, I bet face. on me. Yeah, if you don't bet on me, that's, that's fine because I bet on me. It's yeah. just one of the most perfect scenes. And just mm-hmm. I think she's, she's just such a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's such a hero.
1: That's quite yeah. a nice segue into my first point, actually, because for me, this is Scott's story. But, yeah. uh, but to me, it's Fran that's definitely the main underdog in it. Mm-hmm. So as mm-hmm. we've said, like Scott is already a great dancer. He's told by his coach that he's still their number one. And yes, mm-hmm. he is a rule breaker, as we've said. But so is Fran. Like she breaks the rules by confronting Scott and forcing her way into being his partner, almost dancing partner. Mm-hmm. That is nothing else. <laughs> um, but as we said, is a
0: bit of a rebel, though.
1: Yeah, like, mm-hmm. in that respect. Totally. Like, nobody knows who Fran is at the start as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we said, which I think great as well, there's nothing glam about her. There's no makeup on her. Her hair's not done properly. She's relatable, like, because of all mm-hmm. that. She's one of us. So, like, we almost see Scott's world through her eyes. And mm-hmm. I don't know if any of got this, but, like, her character actually reminded me of a mix between Baby and Dirty Dancing but mm-hmm. also Olive from mm-hmm. Little Miss Sunshine.
0: Yeah. I like she was oh, like, love that yeah. film.
1: Like The two yeah. of them are very, very similar, and all three characters have similar um, journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was also scared it was going to go down that kind of road that we spoke about where, you know, Glasses off, makeup on, hair straightened as well. There
0: was I, the the one bit where he's like, can you dance without these? And I was like, yeah. oh, for God's sake.
1: Yeah. And then
0: takes her and glasses off. But that's really the only major, I suppose, aesthetic change that he does oh, to totally. her. totally.
1: I mean, they do, as we said, there's a, maybe a slight bit of makeup here or there, but she still yeah. looks so plain compared to the rest mm-hmm. of the dancers in mm-hmm. that final scene. And that's for me, is what, like, they keep, they keep it safe with that, you know? Like, yeah. because... Um, Obviously with ballroom and all this as well. They usually ballroom is quite a glam like thing. If you went to go see like ballroom dancing, they would all be kind of glammed up in a certain way. But
2: mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
1: so to add a little bit of makeup and a certain dress or whatever is is fine for, for me mm-hmm. anyway, watching it.
2: Mm-hmm. Also just a point, the, the first the first uh draft of this screenplay was co written by Baz Luhrmann and somebody else. I can't remember the name. It but was Baz Luhrmann I think he Pierce. wrote the final he wrote the final draft that went to screen but the first mm. draft was rejected because Baslerman said they took away everything that was in the play and they made it dirty dancing mm. so he ah. he rejected that and they rewrote it with more elements of the theater show and that's the film that they made and I'm so glad yeah. that they did that
1: I mean, on yeah. that note, that's a, next, uh, a nice segue again. Um, You're the segue king to segue master. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> next to the I.O. on Twitter has wrote in and said, uh, Strictly Ballroom is Lurman's best film. It's modest and subtle and so well edited. So mm. what do we think about that?
2: Shout out to the editing because there are some incredible moments and there's one in particular that I actually wrote down and put a little star next to and it's when Scott finds out that his dad, well, Barry tells him that his dad danced at the Pan Pacific Grand Prix with his mum and they lost because he did his own steps, which transpires not to be true, but Scott goes down into the basement and looks through all of his dad's archival photographs and things and the camera spins around him and then it transitions into him waltzing with, with yeah. Liz and it is yeah. one of the most beautiful transitions um and also I think I do think the like, subtlety you might not think subtlety and certainly Ballroom go together but there are some mm. really beautiful cinema cinemator- elements of the cinematography and I think the first thing that I noticed at the beginning was um The camera is quite slow as the couples are waltzing and it really matches the tempo of the dance. But also Mm -hmm. in slow motion, you can see the way the costumes move so much better. Mm -hmm. So there's like the dancing to me always comes first in this film, Um, especially, you know, the final sequence when they're they're basically protesting by dancing everything is sort of full body so you see all of the footwork and you don't really realize that what you're watching is an incredibly technical performance and that that was a yeah. choice like there's just lots of beautiful um subtleties and again the camera the, the way the camera moves in some of those scenes exactly mirrors what it was like when they were learning in in the backyard so there's yeah. something again about how that subtle similarity is is showing that all of their authenticity and all of that process and all of that you know painful rehearsal but also learning um from a from a teacher who's not a ballroom dancer like the grandmother is such a gorgeous character and she's the one yeah. who says you know dance dance from your guts dance from your heart that there's there's just all these lovely little mirroring moments in the film yeah that i think i think I will say of Baz Luhrmann, sometimes I think he does too much. (laughs) There are definitely some elements of his later filmmaking that just feels like way too much, and you lose some of the heart of what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, When you say too much,
1: do you mean like too much as in like too much fancy stuff or like too too stylized or?
2: I think because
1: um, I, I felt that parts of like Elvis, for instance, became so overstylized. I remembered I was watching a film. If that makes sense,
2: and he has he has said of this that he wants people to feel like that because he he wants people to remember that they're having a collective experience with an audience the way that you do with theatre. So I think there's something about that that I think works because of his the subject matter that he always chooses. He always chooses very oh, like extroverted, performative characters to portray. Um I think my I think my criticism is sometimes in Moulin Rouge, I can't really take in all of the details of the film because mm. the camera's going so fast or you're just chopping and cutting and I I, I totally get that that's part of the experience of watching a Baslerman film. Um but I think with Strictly Ballroom, you're allowed to to take in so many beautiful details of the production design of the costume design, because he's taking things a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That I I think I would I would have loved to have seen more of of Graceland or more of the costumes in Elvis. I think sometimes you're not allowed to linger too long. Mm-hmm. On things that would yeah. that would be my only criticism of Baz Luhrmann. So much goes into visually making this world, and the de- like the detail involved is is phenomenal. I would just like to enjoy it more, but yeah. that's maybe I understand that's not his style. He's he's very it's, kinetic. He's very um, experience driven and sensation driven, which is I suppose as well, well that kind him. of matches
0: with like theater as well. Like because theater is yeah. live action, you get to see it in the moment. You don't get a second look at it. So I suppose that could kind of couple with that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel like I haven't really seen enough of his later work to to properly comment on whether it's the best of his films, but I do. Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for Moulin Rouge. I love that film so much. I really do. And I do, I really, really enjoy Romeo and Juliet also. I haven't seen it for ages, but, Mm -hmm. you know, to be fair, actually, I wonder if he had it all planned out from the start because this film is very Romeo and Juliet-esque in that, Mm -hmm. you know, they come from two very different families. They're kind of star-crossed lovers. You know, they're Mm
2: -hmm.
0: technically in society not meant to be together, Mm
2: -hmm. but
0: find a way. Obviously, Mm -hmm. they don't die at the end, spoilers, but, um, you know, it's very Romeo and Juliet-esque. It also kind of gave me, like, West Side Story-esque because of, like, the dancing and the singing element. Not singing, sorry, like, the dancing element and stuff Mm -hmm. like that you
2: know this um, is this is i think baz lerman's only film where his lovers get to stay together
0: yeah. it's the
2: only like happy they're ending baz apart. lerman film yeah they're not they're not ripped apart and I'll i, I give think them one, i'll start with it yeah it's it's fascinating to me that he's a he's a filmmaker that is actually quite obsessed with love and romance like the, mm. his his great gatsby i mean on on paper i don't mean in the book i just mean like the story in itself is Again, star lovers who don't end up together. Yeah. Elvis, you've got this love story that falls apart. Moulin Rouge, love story that falls apart. Romeo they and They end up together in Australia, though, don't
0: they? Or do they not? I can't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. Um,
2: I uh, don't know. That's that's, that's my Baz Lerman canon omission. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that just never appealed to me because I was like, Baz, where's the pizzazz? um
0: that is a brilliant thing Baz Where's the pizzazz yeah it was a very <laughs> it was a it was a funny choice of a Baz Luhrmann film because it didn't really have that like as you say cap pizzazz no. um no but maybe yeah. he
2: was trying a new thing I've also read quite a lot around it and how troubling some people found the well the general consensus is that the depiction of indigenous Australian yeah, people is yeah. troubling and and it was not accurate and offensive. It, yes. Um. So I I don't know if I'll if it's a film I'll seek out and maybe no. that's also me being the worst kind of Baslerman fan where <laughs> I I don't I I like him to stick to the the tried and true style and maybe yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily like him doing more naturalism, but that's. i don't know i think that's
0: why stories get away with a lot as well though like what i said previously about um fran being Mm -hmm. you know the the kind of the ugly duckling that they turn into the swan Mm -hmm. it gets away with it a little bit more because of the campiness the like the the theatricality of it and stuff which Mm -hmm. i mean if we're happy to move on it Mm -hmm. kind of leads me into my second point Um, we want want
1: Baz to stay shiny is what we're
2: saying (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) we want Baz with all his pizzazz (laughs) Um, but yeah I find it it kind of touches on what we've been saying but I love the contrast between the heightened characters and situations combined with like the classical dancing you know Mm -hmm. it's 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 for it's a perfect kind of comparison where you have someone like Shirley who is off a freaking rocker and uh-huh. so incredibly heightened that she could be in a soap opera but is a as a ballroom dancer and when you think ballroom i mean when i think ballroom you think like waltzing you think you know like delicate and and pristine and and oh. like so balanced and mm-hmm. then you've got someone like that and you're and Les as well and you're just like, what on earth? Like, how do these two worlds collide and collide successfully? It's mm-hmm. it's so clever. And I like I said previously as well, I think it lends so well because I think if this film was really serious, it it wouldn't be as enjoyable at all. I think it would actually no. be a bit boring. Um but I this think... gives it the pizzazz.
2: <laughs> yeah, you absolutely cannot. Make a film about. I mean, maybe Billy Elliot, the Billy elliott school of dance films is you know gritty drama, hmm. but there's not there's not necessarily as much dancing in Billy Elliot. Okay. But you, I I feel like like the the costumes and the feathers and like presenting that world in any way naturalistically would not be true to the spirit of what it is. And I think, mm-hmm. again, that boils down to the fact that this is a film about creativity. It's a film about mm-hmm. um, expression. And because um, I, I I really love and admire people who are very nerdy about whatever they're nerdy about. <laughs> and this feels to me like a film that was made because Baz Luhrmann, he did, his mum taught ballroom and he studied yeah. ballroom as a child. There's something to me about this that's just... This is my little nerdy thing, and I'm going to make a film about it. And I am allowed to do it because I really, really know this world. But Mm -hmm. also, I'm going to go 100% in. Like, you are going to get 100% authentic ballroom world where everyone is a bit batshit. Everyone's wearing feathers and going a bit crazy.
0: Sparkles and
2: stuff like that. I actually
0: also love that, like, so, I mean, stereotypically, it's kids that are wild and wonderful and have the biggest imaginations and kind of present that way outwardly mm-hmm. as well I love how the kids in this are the ones that are really sensible
2: yeah yeah they are his the voices being of reason yeah they are the voices of reason she, she's hilarious the musicality please
0: or yeah. <laughs> like, so good didn't expect that to happen like deadpan yeah. to the camera and it's just like <laughs> you're a little genius I, and i love again the heightened situations they find themselves in like shirley's freaking out and no yeah. sorry when everybody freaks out when uh, it's just announced that tina sparkles is you know potentially going to be scott's new partner and all the adults walk away and it's just the two kids left in the middle like yeah. well that happened
1: It kind of reminded me of when, like, you've seen films where, like, you know, parents will be arguing at the supermarket and leave their kid in the car park they're so focused on themselves that, like, they forget about the Mm -hmm. kids. That's what that reminded me of. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. But
0: But there's something lovely in
2: that as well about having all of these generations present at once. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're all part of the same world, so the kids are also learning to dance. But there's something about, you know, what lesson do you pass on to to them who are able to see what's going on in the adults' world with such clarity, and they are the ones that have such a sense of reality. It's yeah. such I a think lovely... that's kind of a thing
0: for Baz Luhrmann mm-hmm. films as well. It's that it's always it's like either one specific character or a couple of specific characters that seem to have the empathy to look out with the situations and you know like in Romeo and Juliet it's um oh god what's his name again Friar um
2: Friar Lawrence
0: Friar Friar Lawrence thank you it's kind of Friar Lawrence that has that empathy to look out with the situation and be like Mm -hmm. you know love is not the be-all and end-all don't kill yourselves over it and ultimately they do because they're stuck in their little reality yeah and that's quite you know tragic whereas these kids bring a humorous aspect to it because they're they're just in these farcical situations and they mm-hmm. see them as they are. They're like, Yeah, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. Why is everybody yeah. getting so worked up and stuff like
2: that? It's yeah. yeah, it's interesting, He has so many different perspectives at play at once, and they're all offering some sort of insight. Like I feel like the kids in Strictly Ball are a Morass. Yeah. <laughs> like they're <laughs> there he's given the audience like a little a little representation in that yeah. world to be like they're the ones who are like this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah and that's Absolutely. yeah a lovely little dose of realism i just mm-hmm. think he's very smart in that way and i think again that might come from from studying and knowing theatre so well is knowing how how to bring an audience in and when and how to yeah. Essentially, break the fourth wall like in in Strictly Volume, we've got those little mockumentary interviews at the beginning Mm. that do that so beautifully and serve that function of of direct address, which is something I love in theatre. Yeah, that I think that that, of course, that came from from a theatre brain.
1: He also knows how to like exit a scene as well, like as we said, Mm -hmm. like with like ideas of like you know the adults bickering. And then they leave the scene, and the camera lingers, and then it's like lingering on, like, as we said, the children, like, just going, what was that about? So, like, things like that (laughs) as well. He knows how to, like, he knows exactly Mm -hmm. when to end the scene. And mm-hmm. sometimes leaving the camera lingering can be a wee bit awkward, but that's what the kids are feeling like anyway, so it works.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. that lovely like double layer of comedy where the kids are providing the punchline, but mm-hmm. then the fact that they've been totally abandoned because everyone's <laughs> in their own like yeah. everyone's getting a bit too hyped up about the Pan Pacific yeah, Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the kids are very much gorgeous. the breathing
0: space. Like they're the yeah. breathing space that, as an audience, you kind of require. Otherwise, you're just okay. in a million mile a minute and you're yeah. a bit, you kind of lose it sometimes. And it can be maybe overstimulating or get a bit boring if there's no change of tempo or, or yeah. pace through a film. So the kids are a really nice, like, breathing moment, I, th- I feel. Um,
2: also, I think it's really interesting that. They're kind of there and they they see everything. There's something about observation in their presence that the only place that they'd never see is Fran's house. Like yeah. the place that they never get insight into is all of those private, intimate moments. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which again, I mean, this film does intimacy so beautifully and this is probably a complete tangent, but I think... One of my favorite, favorite—I say that about every moment in this <laughs> film—but one of yeah. my honest to God favorite moments in this film is when they're dancing behind the curtain to "Doris Day," yeah. perhaps, 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 and that song is chosen so beautifully because it's chosen the way you would write a song for a musical, where it, it advances the plot and the emotional layers. Yeah. Like that's that to me is the moment that they fall in love. Yeah and it's just like the lighting and then i think it's the kids that find them yeah um and that is that's the moment where their little bubble of privacy is is burst completely and the real world comes in and takes everything away yeah that was a that was a tangent but no no it's good (laughs) it's a good tangent though
0: like it makes it makes perfect sense (laughs) yeah is it your favorite film just out of question
2: I think so. I mean, I think, uh, I find it really difficult to pick a favourite film because actually mm. I love film and I love consuming as much film as possible. But there are very, very few films I'll watch more than once. Yeah. Um, so, I th- yeah, but I think my if I'm, if I'm talking about my favourite film as being the films that I will gladly sit through a million times, it's strictly mm. Ballroom and Singing in the Rain. Like so, it's all totally, it. Like, I mean, sorry, I've I've got my taste. No, <laughs> and no need
1: to apologise for them at all.
2: Not at all. Not um, at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I I very rarely want to watch films more than once unless oh, and and Shawshank Redemption. I'll happily watch Shawshank Redemption, but mm. that's only if I need a good cry and I know I'll get one from that <laughs> film. <laughs> Like if oh, I need a bit dear. of catharsis, I'll stick Shawshank yeah. Redemption on. Yeah, I feel like if I Which need is... a good laugh,
0: I just need to stick the first twenty minutes of this on, and I will yeah. piss myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Shirley. Shirley's just the epitome of like the heightened character in this. I mean, like, she's such just, a stage mom. She's mum. just she's ridiculous. But also Liz, Liz, with her little screams and her and her temper tantrums, they're just ridiculous. They kind of. I suppose mirror each other a little bit as well. Um, it's nice how Liz also ultimately saves them by plugging the music back in. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a real redeeming moment for her.
1: I like that as well. Yeah, yeah. I was
2: gonna say like Liz has real moments of cruelty towards Fran, mm. but again, when I, she I shoves don't... her out the way at the start. I... Yeah, <laughs> and and when when Scott's looking for her and she's just run past Liz and Liz has spoken to her and she's like I yeah. don't know where she is like yeah. there's a lot of kind of really underhanded malice, which mm. I think like I did Highland dancing as a kid, <laughs> oh my gosh, and we my mum would take us to competitions but my mum was lovely about it she was just like do your best have a nice time, and other mums would be like you better you better win yeah (laughs) we
0: were speaking about this for whiplash as well like yeah yeah, people and how far they go for their for their passions
2: and i didn't i didn't take up highland dancing beyond the age of about 12 but Mm. in my formative years i i think that was my first taste of competition with other girls in particular Mm. that there's something about liz that i just really recognize as you know the the competitor that'll smile to your face and then lie behind your back like there's just something that. about that there's something about that world that also I think it's so interesting that you've got Scott up. A, he's kind of crushed in between these two women who are wound tighter than mattress springs who are just ready to pop off and he <laughs> and Fran is just like cool <laughs> yeah. Well, she's more passionate than that but she's not she's not wrapped up in the artifice of everything no she's not uh malicious i would say no or i think she's i think it's interesting as well to look at all the levels of competition because i do think she's competitive and she's ambitious oh, yeah. but she's not she's not a compete to win no. kind of dancer yeah. she's a that's just not
0: She's feeding her creativity. I feel like there's a difference between yeah. doing what you love and being passionate about, you know, your chosen career path or whatever, to feed your creativity and mm-hmm. then to feed your ego. Yes. There's two differences. Yeah. And Liz
2: is more of an ego, and Fran is, yeah. uh, is a creative soul. And I think Shirley's trying to rewrite the past. She's trying to live vicariously through Scott because he's got yeah. a chance to do what she she didn't get to do. Yeah. Which is like big time, like big time projection that, that I think stage mums it's kind of the trope of the stage mum, isn't it? That you yeah. push your children to have opportunities that you didn't have. There's something very, you know, gypsy rosal about this whole situation. Um, yeah. but then yeah, you're right, they both have this lovely redemption arc yeah. at the end. Yeah. For when sure. it, when what really matters I think dawns on them. And then again you've got Love is in the air and that beautiful yeah. that beautiful shot of just absolutely everybody in the arena on the dance yeah. floor. that just tells you all you need matter. to know. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're going to win. You just yeah. have to you just have to express yourself and it's just so lovely. And and then Doug and Shirley are dancing together. Yeah. Oh, I get very emotional about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's that Yeah, it's that collective experience again on film that I think he just does so beautifully. Yeah.
1: That For actually sure. takes me quite nicely onto my second point which is um, the actors, but not just with like how good their performances are, but the the technical part of it of learning these dance like these mm-hmm. these dances as well. Yeah. And I guess I'll take this a wee bit further. Just like this is our now our third episode on Underdog, but mm-hmm. with each one like with this, even with Whitlash and Dodgeball, <laughs> um, mm. they oh, all fuck. like trained. <laughs> though, but they all trained, and I think a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, audiences forget how much work goes into you know learning how to mm-hmm. drum if it's whiplash or learning these dances and I think mm-hmm. a lot of credit is deserved there because the dancing in this is fantastic and it's oh, absolutely when you go yeah. and watch like even I don't know I'm going to name some like John Wick like random Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. film but he learns like how to use that weaponry how to move like a soldier mm-hmm. or whatever else and it's the same with this and it can be overlooked mm-hmm. yeah. so easily as well and i yeah. think it's a uh, it's extraordinary the amount of effort that goes into that then there's the performance as in character performance after it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: i think i think this is also a genie a testament to the genius of basil Erman's casting is yeah. that um paul mercurio who plays scott yeah he was he was a trained ballet dancer so this was his you first can see film the way he moved yeah yeah so he's a trained dancer and this is his first sort of big acting job um, that it's just brilliant. It's perfect casting, of course you'd yeah. cast a dancer in that role um, and it's also Tara Morris who plays Fran, it's her first film but she had been an actor and a singer um, on stage, I think she, she'd worked with Baz on other musicals um, but yeah, and I think again that's why the cinematography is so perfect because it just captures all of that technical brilliance Mm-hmm. And it's so, so impressive. It's like, I was I was also thinking about Chicago, how uh, I think yeah. Captain Dita Jones asked to cut her hair short so that everyone would know she was the one actually dancing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like, there's something so extraordinary to me. I mean, I think this is why the film moves me as well, because dance is one is an art form I just do not understand at all. I will never be a dancer. I have it's no rhythm so... at
1: all.
0: <laughs> no. I d- forget to left feet, I don't have feet when it comes to dancing yeah. like my god just stumps. <laughs> unless it I've just... had a couple of drinks in which case I think of the best thing since sliced bread as Gary has oh. witnessed on a night out in polo yes I have <laughs> to be fair I've witnessed your ballroom dancing in polo as well mate you have,
1: you have. I was swept off my feet
0: he was picked oh. up and swung around
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, loving every minute
0: I think I've actually got a video of it it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life no
1: one needs to see that that's okay
2: <laughs> we can use that as a marketing strategy <laughs> everyone can dance everyone yeah. can dance and it just it depends on context like there's nothing better than sticking on a bit of abba and, you know doing doing oh, yeah, whatever
0: in your kitchen or your, your living yeah. room yeah
2: but the, like the technical ability in competitive dance at this level um it just i it can't, i don't know why it moves me so much i just always look at it and think this is magic i genuinely don't know how this is happening like it, i it, i can't believe my eyes when people can dance to that level with that no. much expression and that much emotion and power and the fact that they're that it's just the two of them dancing without music at the end it just is such a powerful it's such it, it, it's one of the most powerful moments of dance on screen i think i can and I, th- I think that comes to mind
0: that comes, I, I really do believe because I've done something similar I think that really does translate from theatre because mm-hmm. in theatre there's so many different ways to show a place, to show a time, to show a moment and I've done it, we did it actually with the Glass Menagerie where mm-hmm. at the end um, they start dancing together it's Laura um, and the guy's name escapes me which is awful um, but Laura and uh the guy that she's kind of falling in love with, they dance together. Mm-hmm. And we had set it up because mm-hmm. so we did it very, very minimalist, and we did it with no music. And we have people in tears, like it, it's so mm-hmm. incredibly moved because it sucks you in more. It lets you yeah. kind of get rid of like the surface stuff and like the the everything that's just layered over and really gets you to have appreciation for the emotion in the moment and yeah. the beauty of what you're actually
2: seeing. And it's um, such an intimate thing to do with somebody else mm-hmm. that yeah. I think you know especially we were talking earlier about the rooftop scene in this film you do feel like you're you're a voyeur you do feel like you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at because it's just so it just feels so small and private yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean and also You're also in fire. that shot oh but do you know what I mean it just I know feels, exactly what you mean it feels so weird and I think as well like in that scene I just remembered there's there's a washing line in front of them so you've yeah. got this big yeah, sparkly like and stuff billboard on and then which to me is the ultimate kind of symbol of being intimate with someone like when you can hang your pants on the radiator to dry like there's something really domestic about it and then it's for to me it's kind of like oh these two this is just actually a really mundane domestic relationship like this is just really yeah. comfortable and they're yeah. so comfortable with each other and there's it's just yeah and it's mad that in in a in a film made by this explosive creative way mm. by this director who's not necessarily known for naturalism to have such a normal portrayal of love yeah i don't yeah. know there's and dance dance is always kind of the gateway with with those mm. two but these characters in particular dances is, is that beautiful like mm. domestic bubble for them
1: yeah it's very well it, like,
0: put.
2: <laughs> it really is. No, but it, it is.
0: <laughs> I love how this film, albeit it is, it is focused on Scott and he is, you know, the protagonist, but this is very much an ensemble film. And I think as well, 100%. that's very nice with like a dance film. It's an ensemble mm-hmm. film. Like, I think if you had one character that was weak, it, one actor that was weak, it would just pull you out of everything. But mm-hmm. watching this, everybody really brings their A game. And for different reasons like you have somebody like I know I've said her name a million times but you have someone like Shirley and Liz who Mm -hmm. are your kind of caricature comic reliefs you Mm -hmm. have Liz who's just sweet like at at first I was watching I was like I don't (laughs) yeah I was like I don't know how much I'm gonna like this guy but I think I was getting him and Fife mixed up but like Liz Mm -hmm. oh
2: you just a total sweetheart he's like a candy floss of a man Exactly. His He's hair looks so like candy lovely. floss. <laughs> yeah. His hair literally looks like candy floss. And he also just wants the best for everyone, but that makes yeah. him so easy to manipulate. <laughs> yeah. But there's something so genuine. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And, I mean, Fife is, like, your your stereotypical villain. Like, you really hate him. And I love Thank that you. moment. It, it, I don't know why. It gives me Donald Trump vibes. He does give me Donald Trump vibes, actually, a lot. But <laughs> see, at the very end yeah. where he kind of... Falls over and his toupee comes off. I'm like, this is like the ultimate humiliation <laughs> for a villain, you know? Yeah. It is freaking brilliant. Um, yeah,
2: it's glorious. But then, obviously,
0: you have like these really real characters in, like, just Fran and Scott together. Like what you were saying, their cat, like their their mm-hmm. chemistry as actors mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Yeah, and her talent, my god, to go kind of from being a caricature at the start to actually having really emotive and beautiful moments later on in the film like that takes chops Mm -hmm. and by god does she have it Um, but
2: but i think like, on you go Go no sorry carry on i was just gonna say like you're totally right like she learned to dance for this role and there's something about her her evolution that is just Mm -hmm. gorgeous because she is really clumsy at the beginning and to perform clumsiness is like top tier clowning. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. there's also there's also a gorgeous moment of foot acting <laughs> where foot. she's she's dancing with Scott for the first time, and you see their feet, and she's got little excited feet, and yeah. they're just like it yeah. makes me laugh so much, and then. The restraint of when they're waltzing to the Dora's Day song behind the curtain, and yeah. then you've got this big show-stopping number that is just so full of power. The way she like moves, I just...
0: even her hands—just her hands yeah. at, at the beginning it's of
2: the song. So, For it's so sensual, and yeah. you would never have said that of the character at the beginning. No. But you're totally no. right. Sorry to go back to the ensemble nature of this. Like it is like an opera cast. It's mm-hmm. ev- absolutely every character has nuance and has yes. decisions to make i think that's also really interesting that every character has decisions to make which means mm-hmm. that they all have agency they're not they're not there's no fluff characters in this film no at all. there's nobody just there for the sake of it no not at all not at all
1: and i guess the writing doesn't really get enough credit because Baz Luhrmann's known for more like not spectacle but his films mm-hmm. are known for like you know the how polished are, for instance, and like that, and how you're, like, funky yeah. and, and, like, costumes. I think he and...
0: wrote it when he was in uni. I could be wrong, but I'm sure he wrote it.
2: No, you're totally right. He wrote it when he was yeah. studying at NADA, the <laughs> National Institute for Dramatic Art. Um,
0: very good Australian accent. <laughs>
2: thanks. I actually learned it watching Strictly Ballroom. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I filed him as a mother. <laughs> oh, my um, God. So, yeah, he studied... Yeah, he studied he studied acting at NIDA, mm-hmm. and that's where he met Catherine Martin, his his production designer. Um, yeah, he had. I I don't know. I can't remember what the full story of the show is, but I think he wrote it as part of his uni assignment, and then it was picked he up did. by a theater well, a theater festival in in Czechoslovakia before it. I, became Czech. I think they
0: performed it. Mm-hmm. first for uni for, for, for whatever they were doing for uni because I'm sure it was a cast of him and his peers. And mm-hmm. then it was picked up in, in a Czechoslovakia by a theatre yeah. company and performed over there and he went to, to watch them do it.
2: Yeah, and then yeah. I think when he came back that's when I think his name's Ted Albert. He's the man that basically made the film happen. He came and said It was this him and his wife be a film. Yeah. Yeah. It was him and his wife who'd so just- seen it this glorious domino effect of, mm-hmm. like, right place, right time, but also having a really beautiful story. It I think, was... yeah. Can you
0: imagine writing something like that in uni, like, oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> I know. I mean, he was he was directing – he directed a production of La Boheme for the Australia Opera Company at Sydney Opera House by the time he was 25, I think, which is both – incredibly impressive and absolutely nauseating like that makes me feel uh, sick i've
0: only missed that by two years i'm i'm well i'm 27 this year so i've
2: got time (laughs) i am nine years past that mark so let's get (laughs) cracking no but i think again the fact that he's directed opera means that of course strictly ballroom is is a really strong ensemble piece yeah because Mm -hmm. that's just the nature of of that kind of theatre making there's just there's no small part everyone is part of the fabric of the universe and so not absolutely no detail is overlooked whether that's giving them a really juicy line or a beautiful Mm -hmm. costume or you know a moment a really great shot like it's all so beautifully considered and you're right every performance yeah every performance is perfect just perfect
1: um, that okay. actually does go nicely into my third point, If unless is still in a second. Is uh, there other
2: Segways.
1: He is. He's the king I'm of
2: the Segways. Oh my god, it's the Segway.
1: Um, and that—that that is the the costumes, actually. Um, oh, gorgeous. Cause, um,
2: <laughs> oh, a little bit of sparkle. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to the costume designers and, I guess, hair and makeup as well. Um, as we've already spoke about, costumes were designed by Catherine Martin and Angus Straffy. Or Staffy, mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. Um, You've Kath- given two
0: options, so one of yep. them might be right.
1: Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, so Catherine did all the street costumes and Angus did the ballroom costumes, uh, which are so, like wacky and flamboyant which matches as I said this like heightened energetic film um same goes with like the ballroom makeup and hairstyles uh, which was created by Leslie Vanderwalt hope I got that right and Paul My Williams name. but we kind of spoke briefly about it like Katherine Martin went on to do like Moulin Rouge Australia Romeo and Juliet and Elvis all directed by Baz as well. But she also went into starting to do production design and producing. So this really did, like, elevate her career as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Angus Staffy went on to work on Moulin Rouge, but he's also went on to other things like Deadpool.
2: What
0: a jump! Holy smokes! Wow! But this oh was his uh,
1: debut feature as well. Leslie van went on to work on, like, Aquaman, Mad Max... Great Gatsby and like Star Wars as well. So I feel like this film has like elevated a lot of careers as well.
2: The editor, Jill Bilcock, she also did Road to Perdition. Um and she did Young Victoria, Elizabeth the Golden Age, and The Liberty. So she did Holy like moly. amazing. She went on to do amazing work. Also, I found it the script supervisor, because I tried to look up people to see how many people continue to work with Baz, yeah. So the script supervisor continuity was uh, Joe Weeks, who went on to do the Scooby Doo movie.
1: <laughs> nice. Also, Les Kendall's—I uh, don't know if it's the hair and makeup and kind of like that kind of fake tan—but it totally reminded me of <laughs> Jack Jarvis from Still Game.
2: Oh, <laughs> but like really, really did. Yeah. And I—I I feel like I mean Donald Trump was was famous at this time. Yeah. I feel so, like, like yeah. I feel like he he's definitely influenced. You know, you've got that that powerful orange man at the top, and then the leggy blonde next to him. There's something there, but also I, I love the ballroom costumes because they're this beautiful intersection of both paying up like tribute to the Hollywood musicals of the '40s and the '80s have vomited on them. So yeah. there's just there's yes. so many beautiful influences at work there there's something about, you know, Tina Sparkle gets introduced and she's wearing like a a, a fruit salad bikini. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, there's just something fruit, oh, Nice fruit, so... nice Tina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will say, like, I'm really pleased with what they did with Fran's costume. Because although they take her... I know I've said this a million times now. They take her glasses off and they try and, like, make her pretty, even though she's already beautiful. Her costume stays very understated and very... True to who she is, and that flamenco dress that she wears at the end is not the same as Scott's jacket. You know, his yeah. he is dripping in sparkles, and he still I I kind of like in the sense that his costume is typical of what um, like the male would wear in like flamenco dancing and things like that. But it still has that that hint of like ballroom and like the strictness of ballroom and like the, how men have to look very smart i suppose and he's kind of covered it up with sparkles and fran's not dripping in sparkles or anything it's just this beautiful red dress and and a beautiful kind of red scrunchie in her hair and that's that's her and it's Um, amazing to kind of have that as the symbolism yeah
2: totally and i think there's i think that dress was actually her mother's i think that's the one that her Mm -hmm. grandmother's thing and again Mm -hmm. it's it's authentic It's not a ballroom version of a flamenco dress. It's a flamenco dress. And Scott as well being sparkly. It's because that's who he is. Because there's something Mm -hmm. so beautiful again. And I keep banging on about this. Their relationship is about being authentic, which is why I love that she gives him a row when he deserves it. And I love that he doesn't change for her either. And I love that she is still this fabulous curly person with immense curly person. talent. Curly person. We are curly people. Curly people it's can have are. immense
0: talent too. I don't yeah. look like it, but I am actually a curly person also. I just blow dry my hair. Mm-hmm. I'm also a curly person.
1: The jacket that Scott wears at the end, is that not her father's jacket that the dad puts on? So again, it's like the two different families coming together through the costume as well, which I really like.
2: It's it's a matador jacket. So it's... um. Mm-hmm. Because I watched a little clip of Catherine Martin talking about it so it's it, it doesn't have armpits so it's mm-hmm. kind of designed for maximum flexibility so he's just yeah that's, no, that's it's, cool. but again that's that's the authenticity of, of the jacket itself apparently it took something like 30 hours to hand stitch all of that embellishment oh on my it. God. I think yes. all of these all of these like spectacles it was totally the right word to use for Baz Luhrmann films they all come down to really simple stories. And yeah, the way that everything is reflected and everything just points you back to that message—it's just so mm-hmm. good.
0: Has anyone else got a third point that they would like to introduce? Or are we? I'm I
1: think strictly was... done.
2: <laughs> strictly <laughs> done with ballroom. <laughs> um, I think I've I've touched on it a little bit, but I think you—I don't think you can talk about Basler without talking about music. Um, mm. it's so. Intrinsic to his style and the way that he makes films, um, and I, 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 again, I think, I think Strictly is actually a bit of an anomaly in his canon when it comes to music, because mm-hmm. again, his his approach, and he used this example um, in in a documentary that I watched. I think it's from my, um, sorry, it's from my Red Curtain Trilogy Collector's Disc DVD. Um, and I try <gasps> is I there tried such to, a I, thing There is such a thing and it's my retirement. Um, I tried to find <laughs> for all the collectors out there who still have DVD players in 50 years. Um, no, I, I tried to find a copy of, of this documentary online and it's not on YouTube. It's not anywhere. so it really is a collector's disc. <laughs> but he's talking oh about who, like why he uses contemporary music. And the example he gives is that in Meet Me in St. Louis, Um, The songs that Judy Garland sings aren't from the 1900s. They're big band songs from the 1940s in costume. Mm -hmm. And he just uses that exact sensibility in in his work. So, I mean, I think Elvis is such a good example of how he uses music because to kind of capture what a phenomenon Elvis was in his time, he's used equivalent contemporary artists. And especially with Elvis, I think it's, and this, again, this, sorry, this is nothing about nothing to do with no. Strictly But with Elvis, so much of his... He's very heavily criticised because people think he exploited African-American music. Um, but I think something Baz Luhrmann does beautifully in the film is really highlight those influences by having those characters in the film. And then again, including a lot of African-American artists on the soundtrack. And there's just yeah. something, again, as well, like in Great Gatsby, to, I guess, have these equivalences in modern culture. He uses a lot of contemporary music in Great Gatsby that we would associate with hedonism now to kind of add texture to that. Whereas I think Strictly Ballroom is completely different because he's using, well, ballroom music for a start, but also really simple love songs Um, Mm. and contemporary music for the time it's set. I think that's, I think that, yeah, I think... Strictly Ballroom and Romeo and Juliet are the only films set in the time that they were made um, and reflect music in that way
1: No, I guess the only thing I would say really quickly is some of the interesting camera shots uh, when like with like the, the parents or like the coach when they were speaking uh, it was like this mm. fisheye lens so like they were really close and intimidating uh, they were like right in the character's face which meant because of this use of camera lens they were right in our face as well so we, we felt how intimidating they were so that's, that's the last yeah. week of some of that framework was quite interesting
2: yeah I mean I think I would say as well thinking about the actual f- filmmaking here there are so many little elements from other genres of, of you know art or film that it's not a hugely consistent film if i'm being if i'm being critical of my favorite film ever it's there are moments of it that aren't consistent like the mockumentary section has no framework mm. to it whatsoever and lasts for what 20 minutes yeah and
1: yeah. then
2: ne- yeah. never to be seen again that's true um, yeah yeah and then which is kind of purely as um as exposition so who are all these characters and how they related to each other but there's no there's no mockumentary, there's no documentary filmmaking team within the narrative. There's, yeah, there's, I would have liked it, that,
1: actually, all the way through, now you say that. That would be quite yeah. cool to have used that, but, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think something that really inspires me about Baz Luhrmann is that he takes things that don't belong together and he makes them work. I think that's, that maybe appeals to me as a person who has 70 tabs open on my browser at any given moment. <laughs> I, like, I am information overload personified. Yeah. That I, I, yeah. But I just really love it. There's something so creative about him and I think he's he's just such a one-off. I don't think anyone will ever me, like mesh things together the way he does.
0: No. There's something for everything in his filmmaking, I believe. Yeah, yeah, going
1: from his first film, sorry, going from his most latest to then his first film, I am, as an audience, as a cinema goer and as a filmmaker, I'm interested to see what he does next as well.
0: What? see because obviously you've gone kind of back to front Gary what do you prefer old Baslerman or or new Baz Luhr- or later Baz Luhrmann, I, I suppose I, it's
1: it's hard to say because I am um, like I, well, I grew going up from
0: literally one extreme to the other you see his most recent work yeah. and you see his first work yeah I think I'm biased
1: is... though because I I really loved Elvis and but I I grew up watching sorry I grew up listening to Elvis so right away mm-hmm. unless he really screwed up that storyline he had he'd already got me you know he, he, I was I was easily pleased I should say and I mm-hmm. cried
0: oh <laughs> yeah yeah so it's one I really really need to go and see because it's yeah. like I never Grew up so much with Elvis, but my mum really liked Elvis. Um,
1: yeah, my mum, my grandpa. So like, the as soon as certain songs played, I was like, "You've got me," You've, you know. And that's just the soundtrack, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I never had much of a connection to Elvis's music, but the film just moved me so much, and Austin yeah. Butler's performance is exceptional. Again, like Baz Luhrmann choosing
0: quite an underdog, bloody elite. Yeah, a brilliant casting choice. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Absolutely. seems like that's kind of the way that the things are going just now. The only, I suppose, very well-known person that's played in a biopic of like a a singer's life is Rami Malek. Um,
2: Because
0: I didn't really know who Taryn Edgerton was before. Um, Naomi Aki, I think that's her name, who plays Whitney Houston. Um, We only realised... Oh, yeah. um, And Austin Butler has obviously done stuff, but I hadn't really heard of much of what Austin Butler had done. I mean, I'm not like... I'm not the one that gets to decide whether they're well known or not. Who the hell am I to do that? But
1: I think Austin Butler would, if they ever like remake like a new but classical Dracula, I think he would be perfect.
2: Oh, I'd love to see him. I'd actually love to see him do something the opposite of Baslerman. I'd love to see mm. him do something really like low key. If if he and if he and like Paul Mescal could could swap careers for a year, that would be really interesting.
0: Anyway, we digress. We digress.
2: <laughs> <laughs> on
0: that digression, has anybody's final ratings changed?
1: <laughs> I think I'm going to stick with my three at the moment.
0: Put Most it likely. up. Come on, put it up for the listeners. No, no. For oh. Kat, look at that. Look <laughs> at her face. Is, it's her favourite film. No, How dare you?
2: There is no pressure. There I is. Feel There's like... so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it is a Marmite film, and that's... Mm. Baz Luhrmann has is a marmite director he always will be and this is is like definitely his most low-key film Mm. (laughs) big time but yeah so much to enjoy and the three is a really three is a really good rating thank you that's very positive okay three
0: is very positive i think i'm i'm in the same boat as you though gary i think i'm gonna stick with my four nice
2: Well, I'm going to stick with five because I feel like you have to be respectful of the framework provided. But I'm going to give it an extra heart at the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. A five and a love heart. Love it. Love it. So now we're going to take a little break and we'll be back with a quiz and our creative recommendations next.
2: I want to dance with you. What? I want to dance with you. I want to dance with you your way. At the Pan-Pacifics.
1: The Pan-Pacifics? You wanna dance my way at the Pan-Pacifics? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You can't dance my way, you don't win.
2: It's just because you've been overdoing it. If If you kept it simpler and danced from the heart. What? And had the right partner
1: oh i see uh, that's you is it
2: when you dance your steps i understand how you feel because i make up my own steps too
1: you make up your own steps
2: yeah and now we both haven't got partners
1: look I mean, what are you carrying on about you've never had a partner you've been dancing with a girl for two years haven't you
0: yeah yeah but
1: and now you come up to me who's been dancing since i was six years old and you say you want to dance non-federation and convince the judges at the Pan-Pacific Grand Prix with three weeks to train.
0: Yeah. And we're back for our quickfire quiz round where Gary and I will ask Cat questions based on the film. No pressure. I feel like you're going to get 10 out of 10. I feel like you're, you're too. You are up on your Strictly Ballroom trivia, I feel. You have a lot of confidence in me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Question one, Kat. Why did Scott and Liz lose the Southern District's worth the championships
2: because well first they got boxed in by another couple and then Scott did his own steps
0: I feel like I should give you an extra point for that because I was just going to say his own steps but yes ding ding well done (laughs) they got boxed in
2: he had no choice
1: (laughs) Um, at the start of the film what number is on Scott's back in the first competition
2: number 100
1: yes
0: yeah. Oh, I love this. What is the name of the dance Fran's family teach Scott and Fran to dance?
2: The Paso Doble. Well done. Yes. Yep. yes.
1: What brand is on the large billboard as Scott and Fran practice on the roof?
2: Coca Cola. Yes,
1: nice product placement there. <laughs>
0: oh, absolutely. <laughs> Who's the dance food that Shirley and Les tried to pair Scott with? Tina Sparkle.
1: Um, what song plays during Fran and Scott's training montage
2: Time After Time which is originally by Cindy Lauper but the voice you hear singing it is actually Tara Morris who played Fran she recorded it for the soundtrack
1: nice, nice fun fact isn't it
2: yeah, she's a brilliant singer absolutely Um, extra point thank you
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs>
0: right I got this one off of Wikipedia and I think you uh, correct me before so if you get it fine cool we'll go with it what were the names of the two writers that wrote the original stage play of Strictly Ballroom
2: so the original play was Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce well done okay yeah okay <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool
1: who has the line a life lived in fear is a life half lived
2: I think it's originally Fran because it's a Spanish saying that she's teaching Scott.
1: Yes, correct.
2: Excellent. Mm-hmm. Last <laughs> question
0: for me Who saves Scott and Fran's final performance by clapping the beat? Dog Hastings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: and my final oh my question, question is Why did Tina Sparkle's ex partner quit dancing?
0: Because he wanted to focus on his landscaping business.
1: Yes. Oh 12 out of 10, well done.
0: Oh, my God. Well done. Well done. You're the first of the year and the first of the season. Yes. To get film marks.
2: Also, there is a lovely other underdog kind of link, and that's that Doug Hastings, the lovely Doug Hastings is played by Barry Otto, who is Miranda Otto's father of Aowyn, I'm no man. Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. So she'd be another great underdog to talk about. But anyway, that's a beautiful. See if
0: somebody doesn't pick Lord of the Rings for underdog. I swear to God. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that would have. What? Yeah. There's
2: a lot of film what to cover. An epic though, to story. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Great, oh my goodness.
0: Maybe maybe on a bonus episode, Gary. Unless somebody's clever.
1: Or we do a yeah. Lord of the Rings season.
2: <gasps> or I feel like the women of Lord of the Rings need their own episode. Because there are actually very few of them, but they're all really significant. Okay,
0: we could do a new season, a new (laughs) theme of Women of of (laughs) North.
2: (laughs) Yes. Specifically, girls only.
0: Specifically, (laughs) absolutely, (sighs) absolutely. Amazing. Well, to round off the show, we are going to each give our creative recommendations. Gary, you may go first if you wish. Thank you. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) Um, So, I'm a bit of a gamer. And one of the best games to come to Sony PlayStation over the years has been The Last of Us. And Mm -hmm. in January, they are releasing The Last of Us TV show. So at the time of recording, my creative recommendation isn't actually out yet, but I've got my fingers crossed and all the hopes for it that it's going to be amazing because the showrunner is Craig Mazin, who did (laughs) Chernobyl. And he is a big gamer, so I think he'll stay true to the source material. And also, the creator of the game is also a producer on it.
0: I was just so, about to say that he's producing it as yeah. well. I, I I feel like it, it can't go wrong. Can. And they've also spoke out after what happened with The Witcher, controversial stuff, mm-hmm. and said they will not deviate from the source material. So yes. I feel like if that's true, we're going to be in for one hell of a ride.
1: And it's Pedro Pascal. I mean, I don't need oh, yeah. to say anything else. And so.
0: and Bella Ramsey, who yeah. Lady Mormon the brilliant. Yes, yeah. please.
1: Yes. I mean, I've not seen any of Game of Thrones, so that's why
0: I didn't say that. Kat, have you got a creative
2: recommendation for us? Um, because I'm trying to watch a film, not a day. I'm trying not to be too prescriptive like that, but I'm trying to watch more films, like as many films as I can. Um and everyone's banging on about After Sun quite rightly Mm -hmm. because it's gorgeous um but there is a film i watched on netflix called shirley about shirley jackson the american novelist this is just off the top of my head i'm just recommending it it's a brilliant female director josephine decker um and it's a really surreal bold film that just has a lot of dark stuff swirling around in it as well it's really it's really unsettling, but it's really bold filmmaking, and I'd really recommend it. And I, I mm-hmm. probably give it about a three and a half. But I think the the boldness of it, I really, I'd rather watch an innovative, interesting film than a perfect one. Yeah, yeah. The exception yeah, being Strictly Ballroom, which is both. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um and yeah, my creative recommendation is a film called The Express. Um, I was telling Gary about this earlier. If you have never seen it. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever watched. It is an underdog film but it's sports related and it is a drama based on the true life life story of the college football hero Ernie Davis and Ernie Davis was the first African American to win the Heisman Trophy. It's an absolute masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece of filmmaking and it's actually chadwick boseman's first ever film role he's not the main character but he has a small role in it right at the end and it was it was basically the thing that kind of started his film career um but yeah honestly up there with one of my favorite films of all time it's Mm -hmm. beautiful and i believe it's on amazon prime um but if it's not i actually think the full film might be on youtube um Because I rewatched it during. What did you say? Sorry.
2: The Express.
0: Yes, the Express. Yeah. Um, I rewatched it during, uh, the first lockdown and cried my little eyes out. But no, ten out of ten. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Kat, thank you so much for joining us, for coming on the podcast, and for picking Strictly Ballroom. It was wonderful. (laughs) It was brilliant. So i talk
2: nonsense about this film forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's a brilliant film. It's a brilliant film, and I'm really, really glad that we got the opportunity to watch it. Um, but can you please let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and how they can keep up to date with your projects and your other work and stuff you've got going on?
2: Um, so I think the best place to find me is I am on Twitter. A lot more than I should be but I am on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'm at that cat loud and it's loud spelled l-o-u-d um and I do tweet film recommendations I do tweet interesting industry stuff um but a lot of the time I'm also tweeting memes and uh being angry with the government so (laughs) join if that's your thing um but no I I love I love connecting with people over film and i love meeting new people who are passionate about things and as we said at the top of the podcast uh twitter's where i've made a lot of new friends so Mm -hmm. i uh yeah that's where i am that's where i am amazing amazing thank you for that
0: and yeah i am still nick and you can follow me at Nick underscore Doherty on Twitter and just underscore another underscore Shorty 21 on Instagram yes the name is still here and I think it's probably just gonna stay I'm not gonna change it now <laughs> uh,
1: and I'm still Gary and you can still follow me at Hugh G Pro on Instagram and Twitter
0: and if you're loving what you're hearing please subscribe and share what we're doing and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast and you can also leave your comments and um, under films that we're going to be reviewing soon um, on our Facebook group Choose Film Podcast
1: You can follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram
0: You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us on our next episode where we've not decided yet but it'll be great fun! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks! Thank you, bye! Bye! bye, bye.